Inside the Post Dispatch. Liz, we should do a different intro. Every week it's Hi Beth. Hi Liz. Hi, Liz. <laughs> We're so boring. Um What has happened recently that you could we could mention? Anything? No, nothing. <laughs> the heat. Although some would say it's not the heat, it's the humidity. I think we just some would say it's the dew point. I think we can just say hi Beth, hi Liz. We're fine. Hi Liz. Hey Beth, how you doing? I'm good. So obviously we're gonna have to think about it. We are better <laughs> with words in print than we are <laughs> spoken out loud. Yeah. Talking talking is difficult. Talking is hard. Don't put us on camera, <laughs> that's even worse. Um, well, someone who is very good at writing words and talking uh, is here with us today. Dana Reek is the city and county cops reporter for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Dana joined the Post-Dispatch in February after more than a year as a reporter at the St. Louis American. Previously, she served as news editor for Missouri Lawyers Media and was a reporter and editor at the Belleville News Democrat. Welcome, Dana. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you here today. Um, and first, we wanted to get into, you know, before your recent work with The Post, give listeners kind of a snapshot of your background and what brought you to The Post-Dispatch. Sure. So I started my reporting career in 2015 back in Colorado, where I grew up. Uh, I actually covered cops for my hometown paper for two years. So um, right out of college, I went to a daily and uh, learned the ropes, you know, um, and really uh, found a love for reporting there. After a couple uh, couple years, I was getting a little um, antsy, just ready to get out of my hometown. So essentially, I just sort of threw my application all around the country. Uh, you know, I was pretty young. I had no real responsibilities or anything holding me down. So I was kind of just sending my resume to anything I thought I could maybe be um, qualified for. And the Belleville News Democrat uh, called me. And a couple weeks later, I was moving out to St. Louis. So... Um, I came out here without um, knowing much about the city. Uh, I've been here for five and a half years, though, and I love it now. Um, so I uh, did some breaking news reporting and editing with the Belleville News Democrat for two or two and a half years, um, and then changed uh, paces just a little bit with Missouri Lawyers Media um, and did that for a while. Uh, then the pandemic hit, so that's kind of why that transition happened for me. Um, to the American. Um, and when the Post had an open position, I was just really ready to get back into daily reporting. Um, mm-hmm. I had been in a couple weeklies, and it just wasn't quite the pace I was looking for. The so, pace is so different. It's very different, yes. So yeah. I'm happy to be here, and I, it's been six months uh, tomorrow, actually. Oh. So, yeah. Happy anniversary. Work-aversary. <laughs> Work-aversary. <laughs> six months. Yeah, well, we're absolutely thrilled to have you here. Exactly. Here, like in the newsroom and also on the podcast. Tell us a little bit more about your beat. You're on the public safety beat? Yeah, so uh, there's a public safety team here. There's about four or five reporters. Um, you know, we have we have people covering federal and local courts, criminal and civil. Um, we have a few breaking news reporters who do a lot of um, crime coverage and, and follow up on that. Um, and recently, I've taken over the city and county police beat, so... I help out with breaking news when someone needs me to, but I also am keeping an eye on, um, you know, both city police and county police. And then as you both know, we have um, a lot of municipalities who have smaller departments. Um, So a lot of small, smaller municipalities. (laughs) Yeah, I was going through, there's a kind of a a database of all the departments in the state. Mm -hmm. And within 100 miles, there are over 200 police departments from St. Louis, um, which 100 miles is a a big distance, but that's a lot of departments. But that's only in Missouri? Yeah. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you, and if this doesn't relate, then, you know, obviously it doesn't relate. But how would you compare covering uh, cops and policing here to previous experience you may have had elsewhere? Yeah, so moving here was a big eye-opener for me. So I I come from Loveland, Colorado, which is about an hour north of Denver. Um, It's a smallish, well, it's growing, but it's a smallish town. And so cops coverage there was very different. I think I covered one officer-involved shooting in two years. Um, We rarely had murders uh, or homicides. Um, Shootings were really rare as well. So there were other things, but, you know, I guess there was a little more, you know, time to cover things like trainings and, mm-hmm. and things that the police were doing just because there wasn't such a, a bulk of, you know, crime, high volume of crime, high volume of crime. So that would be the biggest difference here is, you know, you have to balance the crime coverage um, alongside some of the more in-depth or or different coverage of the police. Kind of the more policy side of policy. Policy, yeah, procedure. Uh, Based on that police beat, you recently covered the um, arrest of the Hazelwood police chief. Well, I should say, I'm sorry, he wasn't arrested. Can you tell us a little bit about that story, kind of summarize it? Yeah, so um, a few weeks ago, we actually had an anonymous tip come into our newsroom email um, who uh, they essentially kind of um, told me that this had happened and nobody knew about it. So uh, I, it took me about three and a half weeks with the Sunshine Office with Hazelwood, or excuse me, O'Fallon to, to get the video. But essentially, the Hazelwood uh, police chief, Greg Hall, was pulled over uh, on May 28th. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty early in the morning by an O'Fallon police officer. Um, and the body camera footage shows that he is, you know, he struggles with every sobriety test. But the story comes in when, you know, the officer calls his supervisor, who calls his supervisor. And before you know it, um, the O'Fallon police chief shows up, drives the Hazelwood police chief home, and he faces no repercussions for his actions. And the O'Fallon police chief was gonna was set to retire and did retire a few days later. Three days after the traffic stop, that Hazel or excuse me, that O'Fallon police chief retired. Right, and the Hazelwood police chief, at least as of what is today, Wednesday, <laughs> Wednesday yes. afternoon, is still employed. Yes, he's still employed. He um, actually during that traffic stop, he said that he was going to retire in about nine months. So that was two months ago. Mm-hmm. So he's still looking at six or seven months on the job. Um, I can tell you I've made probably 50 or 60 phone calls and emails and not a single elected official or person in some sort of um, uh, leadership capacity from either municipality has said anything about it. So O'Fallon and Hazelwood elected officials are being pretty quiet. Yeah, I mean, I had uh, most of them are no comment. It's a personnel matter, which is something that agencies can often say because they can't discuss employees, you know, uh, mm-hmm. personnel matters. Um I think this just kind of rises a little uh, above a personnel matter, particularly because the video is now, you know, uh, public and so many people have seen it. Um, And I've gotten a lot of, um, you know, emails and calls from people who um, are real concerned about this, who live live in those areas. And um, there just seemed to be no one who's offering answers as to what they're going to do, Mm -hmm. if they're going to do anything. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, obviously, you got the... uh 
officer dies, body cam footage, when he calls his sergeant, who's the first person who comes to the scene to evaluate what's going on, he asks officer die if his body cam and dash cams have been on the whole time. And that really seemed to strike a chord with readers. Yeah, I think this story really has two major arteries, right? So on the one hand, we have a police chief who has been a sworn officer for decades. And then on the other side of it, you sort of have this unspoken um, culture that you're witnessing um, without officers thinking that this would be witnessed. And I think you may have said this, but the Hazelwood police chief has not been charged with drunk driving. That's correct. He's not been charged. So um, as soon as the video was published in our story, the Hazelwood police chief, Greg Hall, um, went ahead and hired an attorney. And um, his name is uh, Travis Noble. Uh, He's a notable DUI attorney in the area. He's handled some higher profile cases. And so this is kind of his specialty. Um, So so Chief Hall did not talk to me, but I did speak with Travis Noble. um, And he had a lot of concerns about... um, you know, the breath test that you take in your car during a traffic stop is not evidence that can be used in court. So when you blow into the breath test on the side of the road, that gives the officer probable cause. Um, And so they can then take you into the station and conduct those tests that do meet the requirements to be evidence in court for a DUI case. He had some concerns about how that test was conducted and he didn't believe that it was accurate. The police chief was never even taken to jail. Sure. Yeah, I think I think Travis Noble was what he's really trying to argue is we still don't know from his perspective. We still don't know if the the police chief was intoxicated. Okay, that's Travis Noble's stance. Right. So he, you know, he questioned some of the methods and the way that those field sobriety tests were conducted. So that's so that's kind of where we're at with Chief Hall. Um, you know, he's hired this attorney, um, and no one is 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 speaking about it. Council members, the mayor, the city manager. Essentially, I've just gotten no comments from everybody. You know, I've taken the temperature with some of the emails and calls I've received from mm-hmm. readers. Um, I, people seem pretty upset about this. Um, and I think they're upset that nothing has been said or done um, by the people who are, you know, Chief Hall's boss, the mayor, the city, uh, um, the city manager, as well as their elected officials, right? That's part of their, their job as an elective, elected official is to make sure that there's accountability and transparency within their government. Definitely. I want to return real quickly to something you said. You you got the video through a Sunshine request. Can you kind of explain what that is for listeners? Sure. So across the country uh, and in Missouri, there are open records laws. Um, ours are called Sunshine. You might hear them referred to as FOIAs as well. It's mm-hmm. called the Freedom of Information Act. And that essentially says that... Um, uh, records, you know, created by public agencies are open to the public. Um, and so anybody, it's often reporters, but anybody can request these documents from agencies and government offices because they are publicly funded. So right. those records are public record. Body camera footage is an interesting um, uh, record that we are sort of just now dealing with, right? You know, so when there's um, a written record, that's on file or you know within a computer it's just kind of a totally different beast than um, hosting all of this footage that officers are recording now Um, you know uh, O'Fallon only started wearing body cameras in 2021 Um, so I think stories like this might become a little bit more uh, frequent because of the evidence right so so essentially you can request this body camera footage and uh, because I knew about 
what someone was saying had happened mm-hmm. and I had a date and a time, that's how I went in and said, here's what I'm looking for. So that's how I got it. Uh, okay. It did take take two and a half weeks. Um, it took a minute to kind of figure, like, narrow down what I was looking for. Right. Because um, you can't just request, like, days of body cam footage, right? Because they have to go through and redact it as well. So mm-hmm. that's kind of her job as well. So, like, on a written record, that looks like a bunch of black boxes over personal information or things that aren't necessarily releasable. Yeah. In, in footage, they watch it and... Um, you know, they can either cut it out or, like, you know, bleep out names or, or blur faces. Mm-hmm. So that story is going to continue for a little bit. Like another story that you covered recently was out at DePaul Hospital. Can you explain a little bit what happened there? Yeah, so that's actually a really good um, example of when I'm pulled in to do some breaking news, right? Yeah. So this isn't really on my beat, um, but I worked with one of our uh, reporters on this it came in as sort of one of our, you know, crime briefs, right? So we we got a release from Bridgeton police saying two people had been stabbed at the DePaul emergency department and one person was in custody. And we wrote that and then we started to hear from our readers um, because we can't know everything without you guys letting us know what you know. And we were we were getting word that the two people who were stabbed were actually healthcare employees, <laughs> uh, and we also had heard that the person accused of the stabbing was a patient. Um, and so that's kind of when the threshold, you know, sometimes things are unfortunate, but there's only so much coverage we can do, right? But this story seemed to um, have an impact on a lot of readers, so we started looking into it. And after a day or two after the stabbing, we were working on a follow, um, and I probably did. Uh, <laughs> I would say five or six hours of phone interviews with nurses. Um, All afternoon, I just talked to people. And uh, it was overwhelming and very clear that there have been longstanding safety concerns, particularly at that specific emergency department, Mm -hmm. but also regionally, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We focused in on DePaul because that's where the stabbing occurred. But we've heard that, and we're still looking into it, that there are these concerns in, in various hospital systems in the area. Specifically concerns about nurses fearing for their safety from patients? Yeah, yeah. So the nurses I talk to who do work at DePaul say, you know, they're not checking patients. uh, You know, there's no security checking patients as they walk in. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these patients are walking in with loaded guns, um, knives of various sizes. Uh, A couple nurses told me about a time a man tried to bring a chainsaw into the emergency department. Oh, my. Um, It's unusual. Right. I I hope so. (laughs) Yes. That was the most extreme thing I've heard. I mean, obviously, right. a load of guns is probably a little more dangerous because it's it can be concealed. Right. Um, the, yeah. yeah. Chainsaw is ominous. Very right? ominous. Right? I mean, yes. that's like a threat. Um, yes. And DePaul has now installed more security measures. Yeah. So we wrote So we wrote the second story, um, and we uh, did not name the nurses. Most All of them were, you know, fearful of retribution. They need their employment. Like, we all need our employment. So we did, um, you know quote them and and summarize what they were telling us without Mm -hmm. naming anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, we reached out to SSM for comment on these concerns. Um, And there was some back and forth, but within a day after the story came out, they let us know that they were installing a metal detector. Mm -hmm. Um, And that took a few days to to get installed. I know when I went there on Friday afternoon um, of last week, uh, there was a police officer uh, who wanded me down. And then behind them was, you know, those um, metal door frame metal right. detectors. Yeah. One was getting pulled out of a, like 
a box, so like a brand new one. Right. So they were in they were in the process of installing that Friday afternoon. And the the woman, it, it was a woman who was a patient who is now accused of stabbing two people. One of the people was a paramedic, and the other one was a nurse. And there was a hearing recently that you attended and wrote about. And one of the details that you had in that story really caught me where you said there were a bunch of people like in scrubs, so nursing or healthcare employees, and they were wearing buttons um, talking about some of the experiences they had had where they had been punched or spit at and things like that. Were you surprised at how many people were in the courtroom that day? I wasn't. Okay. Um, I think typically I might have been a little more surprised, um, but after talking to so many nurses last week, mm-hmm. I could tell that this is a much larger systemic issue, right? Right. So they're there supporting uh, the paramedic and the nurse. Um, it was a bond hearing. Um, the suspect is uh, Jamissa Rivers. She's 30. Mm-hmm. She's facing um, two felony assault charges as well as um, two, two armed criminal action charges. Um, and so this... In Missouri, when you are um, denied a bond or a bond reduction by a judge, seven days later, you're legally entitled to a second bond hearing in front of a different judge. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was her second bond hearing. And when they had arrested her at the scene of the stabbing, they had um, put a $2 million cash only, no 10% bond on that. Oh, wow. Okay. So so there's a lot of different ways that bonds can be spelled out. But this specifically... This means that she would have to put down $2 million in cash Mm -hmm. to get out of jail. Um, And so her lawyer was requesting a reduction of that bond. Right. And um, the nurse, so from what I heard from from all the healthcare workers that I spoke with who who know them, uh, they say that Jamissa came into the ER um, and the nurse was helping her and the paramedic had brought her in. Mm -hmm. Um, and the nurse, uh, excuse me, uh, Jamissa's accused of um, going after, lunging at the nurse with a knife and stabbing her. And the paramedic tried to intervene and stop the attack. So that's how the paramedic was injured. The nurse was targeted. So she, uh, the nurse is actually still hospitalized. Oh, um, wow. it, she had a pretty, a pretty severe cut on her neck. Um, so she's hospitalized, but a lawyer did read her letter out loud in court. Mm-hmm. Um, and the paramedic actually showed up in court uh, okay. and addressed, you know, the victims can stand up and, and say what they want on the record to the judge, especially when it's talking about whether to release a suspect or not. Yeah, I thought that the uh, paramedics quote in your story or your follow from early this week, I believe, yes, yeah. uh, was so affecting. I mean, the paramedics said that they were fearful for their life if Rivers was to be released on this bail or at this bail hearing, do you have any sense of kind of what eventual sentence Jamissa Rivers could face? I do have a sense, uh, but it's not going to give anyone a real good idea. Um, so her assault charges, uh, the St. Louis County prosecutor, uh, Wesley Bell, sent out a release and he sort of spelled it out. So she's facing two felony counts of assault. Um, those carry a potential sentence of between 10 years and life imprisonment. Um, The armed criminal action charges, um, you will see almost anyone who's accused of a violent crime here that used a weapon. Those are um, kind of like sentence enhancers or like charge enhancers. They kind of set a minimum. Yeah. So the minimum on those is three years. Um, So really she's kind of facing three years to life imprisonment. And that's really going to shake out depending on whether she accepts a plea deal, right? So that might be reduced and she might agree to, you know, 
any number of years in prison for a reduction in charges or a reduction in her sentence. And it's still really early in the process. Very early. So she's been in court twice uh, with matters concerning her bond. Okay. Um, the judge did deny um, her bond reduction request, and actually uh, the judge took her bond away. So she is not getting out of jail until this case is adjudicated. Um, so she is set for a preliminary hearing in mid-August, which will... S- that's kind of the hearing where they spell out the evidence and, and kind of uh, prepare to move forward in the case, whatever that might look like. Well, with all of these, like, honestly, really kind of heavy uh, stuff that you're writing about at work, crime and, and stabbings and police chiefs getting pulled over, what do you do, like, when you're not working? Great question. Uh, I learned early on in my career, especially doing cops and crime coverage, that you have to have escapes and you have to go do something. You know, you can't go home and just sit and think about this every day. Um, so uh, last year, I actually picked up roller skating. Oh, okay. Um, so I roller skate once or twice a week uh, with a few friends of mine who also enjoy it. Um, do you do roller derby or just roller skating? I wish I was cool enough for roller derby. <laughs> right now, I'm still working on like my form and my technique. Okay. Um, it's it's a lot harder than it looks, you know? I, I am super impressed. I can't ice skate. I can barely roller skate. So. I have a friend who roller skates, and every time she like posts an Instagram video of it or like a story of it, um, I always do the clapping response. I know this is like firmly making <laughs> yeah. me a millennial, but it's truly like I don't think I could probably last more than five minutes max on roller yeah. skates or ice skates these days. Where, where do you skate? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so Steinberg, okay. actually, uh, in the summers, they open up the rink every Monday night. Oh, um, that's it's cool. It's free for anyone to skate. And if you don't have skates, I think it's like 4 or $5 to rent skates. Oh, okay. So you could do that for, for almost free if you don't have skates. So I do that. And then there's also um, a local group called Skate Culture. And they, um, about once or twice a month, put on skate parties um, in various areas of the, oh, fun. the region. Yeah. Neat. And DJs, and they usually have music and drinks. and um, Kind of the classic, like, roller skating party yeah. from grade school where, you know, you yeah. go and... I would go and hang on to the wall, but other exactly. people seem to be having fun. Yeah, mine was Rollercade in South County. Yeah. Um, iconic. I think it still looks the same with the same neon carpeting. Um, and I also heard that, are you into improv or were you at some point? Yeah. So I am finishing up level four classes at the improv shop. Um, it's been really fun. I don't think I'm going on to do like live shows every week. I'm not sure I'm that committed, but I will say it's been a ton of fun. I've made a whole group of friends who are, you know, uh, really randomly connected, right? Because it's kind of this outside hobby that brought us all in. So I have this whole group of friends who are, you know, very different from me, which I love. So... Yeah, and as you said, you know, you've been here for at least, what, two, three years now, or maybe more than that. Five and a half. Five and a half. I'm selling you short. Um, (laughs) But I think that's so important, too, right? If you're entering a community to get involved, to find people with similar interests. And it is so critical, as you said, that you don't take the work home with you, that you have these outlets, whether it be something physical exercise, you know, something that gets your brain working like improv, uh, really, really important. Maybe at the Christmas party, you can share some of your improv talent. Oh, I don't know if you want me to do that. Well, other people karaoke, so you got to chip in somehow. 
There you go. I do not do, I'd like, as a policy, I do not do karaoke ever. <laughs> I don't sing. I just don't. So I was told there was karaoke and no one at this year's Christmas party. I'm pretty sure it did we, karaoke. I, we didn't karaoke. The Christmas <laughs> party this year was a little different, I think, because of COVID. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I used my two drink tickets and was ready after that for karaoke, but you not to be, I couldn't bit. be the first, you know? I'm not that brave. <laughs> But thank you so much for joining us to chat about your beat and these recent stories. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. We'll let you get back to it.